Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Special thanks to the Town of Vail for their support of the Vail Dance Festival and Conversations on Dance live podcast recordings. This episode was recorded live at the Manor Vale Lodge. I'm Rebecca King-Ferraro. And I'm Michael Sean Breeden, and you're listening to Conversations on Dance. So my co-host Rebecca King-Ferraro is out on maternity leave. But I'm so lucky today to have a guest host, a fellow former Miami City Ballet dancer, teacher, stager, mother extraordinaire, and my good friend, Patricia Delgado. Thank you, Patricia, for coming out. Thank you, Michael. I'm so happy and honored to be uh, on the other side today. I mean, <laughs> as our most uh, frequent guest, it's only and natural fan. that you're transitioning to this <laughs> Uh, and we have two uh, artists of the Limon Dance Company. We have Dante Paleo, the artistic director, and Nicholas Fusica, a dancer with the company. Hi there. So why don't we start like we always do with um, new guests. And I just want to hear a little bit about how each of you first became involved in dance and when that sort of um, transitioned into a moment where you thought, this is a professional path I can take. Let's start with Dante. Um, I came to dance pretty late. I was about 19. I had done a little bit of theater in high school. uh, And then I took a ballet class in college. And I was like, oh, yeah, I think this is what I want to do. So I wanted to study abroad. So my teacher uh, suggested some schools at the the Laban Center in London. I moved there, started dancing. um, And then I stayed there for another year, went to the Northern School of Contemporary Dance. Um, after that, I came back to the States. I went to the University of the Arts, moved to New York, and then I auditioned for Limon, just kind of seeing where I was on the you know, New York talent spectrum. I didn't know <laughs> if I was any good yet or not. <laughs> um, and then Carla Maxwell, the artistic director at the time, um, came up to me after the audition and offered me the job. 
What a, what a beautifully succinct uh, <laughs> way of going through. Yeah. It's like, well, my, my little sister at three, you know. <laughs> yeah, let's wow. let's hear a little bit about your background. Um, well, I started actually break dancing when I was about like five years old because I had way too much energy as a kid. <laughs> I was flipping over the furniture and everything. So I found still that. Is. Still, still is. Still is. Still is. <laughs> um, and found that outlet and kind of through there I found ballet and I attended the National Ballet School of Canada and that was in sixth grade and I decided then that I was going to be a professional dancer and I think I was about 11 at the time and from there I found Limon at about 13 years old and started studying from quite a young age. Um, I then went to California Institute of the Arts where Colin Connor was on faculty, the previous artistic director, and I was brought in as a guest artist and worked with Dante on The Trader in my final semester at school. So that's kind of my journey to Limon. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Can we hear a little bit about like what, what about Limon specifically clicked for you guys? And was it immediate or did you have to kind of lean in and explore? Mm. Well, I think one of the most amazing things about Limon for me is how I almost want to say how ergonomic it is and how um, utilizing the whole of your body including your breath and internal um, sensations and initiations really helps inform your practice and being able to dance in such a healthy way I feel like is what drew me to it and now um, I think really the humanity of the work and how we're not asking to be other than ourselves necessarily but to use the whole of ourselves in order to engage with the technique right. yeah that's what beautiful. about you Don? Well, that's gonna be a tough answer to beat <laughs> um, so I came to dance late and so it was a lot of catch-up so I was always trying to do the steps right and just learn all the things that you're supposed to learn um, and then I came to Limon, and that was the moment where all of the movements, all the steps started to make sense because I started speaking the language versus just saying the letters or the words. But now I was able to speak and that really happened through the Limon class. I was like, oh, this is how this connects. And then all of a sudden I was speaking with my entire body versus just, okay, I'm doing all the right steps. Um, so that's what really spoke to me was just that connection to myself as an artist, what I want to say, how I want to say it. Uh, and Lamon was that, was that vehicle for me. Right. That's uh, something that's really interesting to Patricia and I, we were talking about this earlier today. Maybe you want to take this away because it's, um, you know, neither of us got to go to college before our careers. So I think we're super curious yeah. about it. I always love meeting artists who had that college experience, those four years, like post high school to like, not just develop the craft, but just develop yourself as a person and mm -hmm. it was something that was hard for me to decide when I was offered a job in the company it was I was very grateful but it was um a disappointment I wanted to do both mm -hmm. so I always want to hear it's like what happened in those four years for you that like you feel today has informed you as an artist I think as an artist inside of you know, like college and training in those four years, um, I gained a lot of exposure to different ideas. And I found not only from my faculty, but also from the peers I was working with at CalArts, it's very, like in your first year, you're choreographing, you know, right away, they want 
um, creative uh, collaborations, interdisciplinary collaborations. So I got to work with animators and visual artists and actors in many different capacities, which definitely opened my mind. And working with those peers has set me up in quite a great way, especially when we approach our contemporary works and our new commissions to you know, have those skills and especially inside of things like improvisation mm -hmm. and stuff like that through school. Would you say it almost like it gave you a sense of having a voice yourself? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. 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 And also just for myself, I think I also needed those four years to develop and mature just as a person mm -hmm. in order to do the work we're doing today. Yeah. yeah, I love that you mentioned your peers because I, I do feel like the hierarchy of a ballet company, for example, you get in and there's just like so much to look up to mm. and not necessarily in the most like always nurturing environment, mm -hmm. but the idea of having like a freshman class and a sophomore class and, and even just like the entire university supporting one another from different forms. It's mm -hmm. just, it's beautiful. I love it. <laughs> Dante, I know you started yeah. The ballet in college, so what, what yeah. happened? Yeah. I didn't know I was an artist. <laughs> you know, I, I was probably a creative person. My dad is in the back of the room, so he might be able to give you a little bit more information. <laughs> um, so I didn't know that that was a thing. You know, I was playing Super Mario Kart, and, you know, I was eating devil dogs, and I didn't have an expression. Um, you know, I wore a bunch of funky clothes, and I was always different. Um, but then dance, those four years, channeled and gave me the tools to channel all of the stuff going mm -hmm. on inside of me. Did you ever feel frustrated that you hadn't started earlier? Um, you know, that went back and forth. There were times where I was like, oh, I wonder what would have happened if I, mm -hmm. if only I, you know. And right. then I was like, you know what? I came to it when the moment I came to it. Beautiful. And, you know, I am here. Oh, no, <laughs> and you're such and an I'm example. Happy here, so. Yeah, beautiful. So were there other um, dance companies that you might have been interested in right out of college or were you kind of, geared towards Lamone, like how, how, mm. how Lamone-centric were your dance interests? Well, when I, like all through high school, and like I said, from 13 years old, I was training in Lamone, so I always wanted to work with the company, but um, through college, I started doing a lot more floor work, which is almost like acrobatics on the floor, lots of flipping around and partnering in that way. Um, so I was also drawn in that direction, and then in my last semester, I got to work with Dante and just connect with Lamone again, and right away I knew this is where I want to be, <laughs> and uh, it just so happens that now I get to flip on the floor in our contemporary works <laughs> and do my Lamone, so it's kind of the best of both worlds for me. Yeah, right. which is fantastic. I didn't give him much of a choice. <laughs> <laughs> when we got to work together, I was like, yeah, you're going to you're coming, you're coming with me. <laughs> That's awesome. So great. I, I want to hear a little bit about how the Lamone technique informs the repertoire. You know, like for us, um, you know, we spent so many... So many nights talking about like balancing technique or like you, you when you see someone not utilizing the technique in the rep, it kind of can be disorienting or, um, you know, we get very nitpicky about that. So I want to hear, like, why is it important to, to have that skill set? or And especially for someone like Roman Mejia, who's doing Lamone for the first time, like, how do you kind of bring someone along into the rep without that innate understanding of the technique? Yeah, the principles of the Lamone technique are really about fall and recovery. And it's really related to breath. You know, we take breath in, we exhale, 
and our body relaxes in that moment and we give in to gravity. And that echoes itself throughout the body. So if you're raising your arm and then you exhale and then you give in to the weight, that moment of surrender into gravity before you breathe again reveals the person. You see the person as their individual self versus a person who has their arms here and then here and they're doing, going through the motions, which is also a beautiful kind of way to move. So the idea of breath and fall and recovery is another aspect to get into how we reveal ourselves as artists. And I think that really helps dive into the plethora of repertory that we have. So whether it's really character driven, like the Morris Pavan, where you're talking about Othello, or whether you're talking about more like an abstract work, like Sam, which you'll see this evening, um, or the completely abstract work, like Choreographic Offering, where it's really about the form. Mm. Uh, so within each of those arenas, you can really experience the artists as individuals because you see them giving into gravity, and then in that moment, then you see them come back alive. Mm. Maybe you can... Wow. Yeah, it's beautiful. That was beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> I think also just, um, and similar to any company, we all have this shared language. And in our fall and recovery, I think something we play with and something we all challenge each other to do is take risk. Um, and you'll see us take some risks tonight. And our um, the way we all fall and breathe together, it's more, yeah, it's almost creating this common language that, lends itself to the work for sure, but also inherently builds this sense of community. Mm -hmm. And as I said, kind of in the beginning, this humanity, family, support system for each other on stage. Right. Yeah. So obviously breath then is a huge part mm -hmm. of the work. Um, I'm wondering if there are other hallmarks that if we were to see it as audience members, we could immediately hone in and be like, okay, that's Lamone. Like what, what, what distinguishes it from other, um, other great choreographers of the 20th century? Mm. For me, it's his understanding of space and the geometrical ways in which bodies move through space. So tonight in Psalm in particular is a, is a mass, it's like a masterclass in this, but you'll see dancers coming down stage at you, then all of a sudden they're on a diagonal and then all of a sudden they're in a circle and you have no idea how these things happen. And it's just like, if you watch it from above, it just looks like sand moving in all of these different really beautiful ways. Um, and so his craft in terms of how to shape space with bodies on stage for me just is really unique. I don't see a lot of that that really speaks to me in the way that Jose's work does. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. There's also a very, it's hard for me to find like the descriptive word for it, but there's a very clear sense of formalism mm -hmm. that's very individual to Lamone, I think. Like we all have our, different kinds of formalism within, you know, ballet to forms of modern dance. But Jose really had this presence. And even watching the old videos of him where it's like cutting in and out and you can, you can see and feel um, the width of him. Mm -hmm. And I think there's definitely something, like we say, be fat, not thin. Like oh, we never want to get that. too tight. We want to... <laughs> pancake out and dig into the floor so I think really this command of space and um, the way we drop our weight into the floor is definitely something that uh, distinguishes the technique for me yeah and a rhythm mm. our mentors would kill us if we did not see <laughs> the rhythm yes. you know because you know you'll see and you know many choreographers will do this they'll go from a 5 to a 12 to a 13 to mm. a 7 um, 
but his use of musicality in his body, you see the music and the way he taps the floor, the way he drops his weight to move into the next moment. Mm-hmm. So, so Dante, you uh, took the reins of the company in a very trying time. It's 2020, I have right? No idea what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> we blacked it out. Um, I, I'm just so curious to hear. Like, I mean, it's it's a huge responsibility to anyone at any point. But you're not only having to navigate the company through this, uh, you know, completely unprecedented moment in history for a dance company, but also you're still trying to put forth your new vision and you know, instill some of your values as a director. What was that like trying to balance that? (laughs) Uh, Trigger response. (laughs) Um, So I was interviewing for the position uh, through the end of uh, 2019 going into 2020. Um, I went and worked with the company um, in early March of 2020, end of February, beginning of March 2020. And so I go back, I was teaching at University of Florida at the time, and I get a call from the director on like, you know, March 18th, about a week after the world went into lockdown. He was like, Hey, we've got a job for you. <laughs> I was like, yay. <laughs> I get off the phone. I grab my husband. I start crying and laughing from excitement. And then I started crying from absolute fear. Like, what did I just do? <laughs> um, and it, yeah, it took a moment. Um, but so much happened in these past two years. This whole idea of social reckoning and social awareness and how we interact with one another was a big part of le- is a big part of leadership. Um, if not one of the main parts of leadership. Um, Hmm. So this time actually really gave us space from having to do the things that we always did. Mm. If it had been any other moment, I would have hopped in the position, got on the train, gone to the next performance, and then kept doing the thing that we had always done. Mm. So having that time away, I was like, okay, cool, we're going to start this new process. And in the middle of the process, George Floyd. We're Mm. doing a piece called There is a Time, and in it, is time to speak and time to be silent. And I'm sitting in my apartment in New York and outside people are protesting. Mm. And we're doing time to speak and time to be silent. And it's like, mm-hmm. okay, we need to have more conversations about who we are mm. in the inside of this work. Mm. And so it really gave us that time because there wasn't touring, there wasn't performances, there wasn't this need to keep up and be doing all the things that everybody else was doing. Was, no, let's find our own path, let's find our own way forward. I'm new to this. I don't know who I am in this position yet. Leadership is a whole other understanding of how to operate in the world. Um, and that these past few years gave me that time to understand the artists in my company in a really personal way. We had a lot of bubble residencies where we were just in a place for like two or three weeks, four weeks, mm-hmm. having dinner together, mm-hmm. having birthday parties together, mm-hmm. living together. So mm-hmm. we really got to like braid ourselves in a, in a way that wouldn't have happened otherwise. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah I, I love to hear you say out loud, like, I'm in a new leadership position and I don't know what that means for me. Mm-hmm. And I think that's such a admirable thing to hear a leader say because it's the vulnerability that mm-hmm. creates that trust from mm-hmm. your company. And I just care, do you always see yourself um, as a leader, uh, whether it's a Limon company or anywhere else? Did you, did you see that as a young person? No. You are a young person, <laughs> but as a younger person. Can we turn the too. lights down? <laughs> <laughs> but you know, as a, as a young artist, like, did you see that? No, oh. no. Um, I'm a recovering people pleaser. <laughs> um, so Me too. Yeah, so that need to make sure, every, 
like everyone likes everything I'm doing. Like that's not going to happen. Yeah. You know, I have a huge family of Limon people that have been doing this work for 75 years mm -hmm. and they all have opinions mm. about how it should be done. Mm. And they all have very different opinions. And so we're not always all going to agree, but I can always go back to what Jose, what I thought Jose would have wanted, and I go back to that original attention and grow from there. Um, but yeah, no, leadership was not something I had really ever considered. Um, so yeah, it is, it is a, a navigating moment, you know, as long as I can keep showing up for my artists so they feel supported and they feel inspired. Um, that's, you know, I want them to walk out on stage and feel like they own that space mm. so then they can take the audience and transcend them to another place. Right. Mm. Music to my ears. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm sitting here thinking that there are some really interesting parallels to the career that we had where we were in a company that the, the bedrock of the rep is always going to be this 20th century genius, mm -hmm. but then the artistic director's responsibility is to bring in new work that complements that. Mm -hmm. But also for the dancer, you're trying to find your way to, um, you know, bring... Um, you know, integrity to both. So mm -hmm. I, I want to hear about that balance for both of you. Maybe start with Nicholas going back and forth. Like, I mean, you're saying uh, you get to be, you get to spin on your head in some of the new <laughs> rap. I don't think that's in any Limon rap that I know of, but. No. Um, <laughs> so what's that balance like for you? Well, I, th I think no matter what, again, going back to this shared language mm -hmm. of the technique, um, which I think is something we take inside of our contemporary repertory also. Um, since Limon is so principle-based and not codified necessarily, um, you could technically apply it to anything, mm -hmm. right? And um, understanding where we have been and you know what inspired Jose to make the work he did um, and taking that into you know, our current time is something that's actually quite easy, I think, <laughs> and actually adds another layer of connection and relationship for each dancer on stage because we're not only, you know, freelance artists who just come together for one project or something. We did spend all that time together and we have trained together so much <laughs> that it's really created this sense of, family and a way for us to to feel safe to also take risks inside mm -hmm. of new works but also take risks and learn from each other inside of these works that were created well before i was born mm -hmm. you know so yeah. yeah what about for you dante finding that balance in the rep yeah nicholas really said it in there um why jose made the work he did mm -hmm. um so that is the that's the step that's like that's the that's the origin for me. Um, so the two commissioned choreographers we worked with this, these past two years, um, one, his name was Olivier Tarpaga, he's from Burkina Faso, and his life story is really similar to Jose's, mm. where he was born into a war-torn country, in a um, class revolution, um, from a musical family, immigrated to America, and I'm hearing these things Olivier say, I was like, that's literally Jose's story. So now what is it to engage this artist who experienced something very similar to what Jose experienced, and then have their works be in conversation with each other on the stage? Mm -hmm. So you can really think about what creates an artist of this stature. Mm -hmm. um, and then the other uh, um, choreography work we worked with this year his name is Raul Tamez. It's the first Mexican choreographer that has staged a work on the company since Jose Limon himself. Um, so, how did you find him? 
When I was in the company, um, there was a student in the institute. Um, she was in Slovenia, and she met this person, um, super talented, made this beautiful work to um, uh, Beethoven's Ninth. Um, and she was like, you really should just meet this person. And so I saw his work. It really reminded me of Pina Bausch, who was one of my favorites. Um, and I was like, I think this would be an interesting conversation. Wow. Um, so, you know, the, the aspect of heritage, and I had him talk about what immigration and colonization looks like for him and have him share that with our company so mm -hmm. we can share that with the world. So we're looking at Jose's work and his experience inside of that reality and then looking at a contemporary artist and how their experience from that reality impacts their artistry. Mm. Wow. Mm. Amazing. So it's the 75th anniversary for the company this year, which is a landmark that few dance companies have ever met in America. Um, I'm wondering if you could tell us a little bit about the, um, the process of planning that season and, and preparing it as a dancer as well. Uh, let's see. <laughs> um, the 75th was already in motion. It was already being planned when I came in. So I just sort of picked up what was happening and then started to reshape it with the two choreographers I was looking, I was, I wanted to work with, uh, and then how we were going to tour that work. Um, well, when you come to the performance tonight, you'll see that before each work, I have a really short narration that just gives you a hint of context, mm -hmm. whether it's a couple of quotes from Jose or a little bit about his life and why he made the work he made. Um, so for me, giving our audiences context to what he made and why he made it, so you just have a little bit of a hook. Mm -hmm. um, you're not being spoon-fed. I'm not, you know, I'm not giving you all the information, but just a little bit so you can go, oh, okay. So that way people who are familiar with the work and who know the story can just be taken back into that memory. Like, oh, that's right. And people who aren't familiar with the work, which is a lot of my focus is mm -hmm. these next generation audiences and artists, how do I engage them? How do mm -hmm. I make them interested? How do I make them care about what I care about, what we care about so much? Mm -hmm. um, so it's how I frame the concerts, how I frame the works, um, that's really my mission for the 75th anniversary and then how I think we'll be moving forward. Mm -hmm. I love that. I mean, yeah. I, I, I think, uh, you know, I love what you said about firstly about audience members that are already familiar with the work because I mean, how many times have we seen like a Swan Lake or whatever, but if you could have that, if you go back to that original feeling and the original context, it can enrich the whole performance in a way that you might not even remember mm -hmm. you know and then each season we can look at the same work in a different way you know mm -hmm. it's like i can take some five years from now and be like okay this season we're going to really focus on this aspect of it mm -hmm. instead of this aspect of it so then you get to look at the work through a new lens and if i can keep giving my audiences new lenses with which to look at the work then they'll keep coming back <laughs> <laughs> well and it keeps the dancers too with intention and focus yeah. mm -hmm. you don't get um you don't go on that you know We've done this so many times. Mm -hmm. We're just going to keep doing it. Or <laughs> I'm going to have my own idea and yet mm -hmm. a collective idea mm -hmm. as, a co as a company. Well, and I think that's something that was so amazing about this preparatory period. Of course, we were in the pandemic, which we still are, and <laughs> was not fun at all. But we got this time, as Dante was saying, where we really got to investigate all together in something that I love about Dante is that he asked us what we saw mm. for the 75th or, Oh, we watched, you know, the full winged together. What sections do you think would work in what locations? Cause we did a filming of that project as well. So it was 
it, it was very collaborative actually as a especially as an incoming company member mm-hmm. to be inside of an environment where someone's not only you know has direction and it's like here's what we're gonna do they're like also what do you want to do mm-hmm. and that was so refreshing and something that is still happening even today <laughs> which is amazing yeah that's so great <laughs> can you take us through um the repertoire that we'll be seeing tonight in the performance Absolutely. Um, so we'll be beginning with uh, the Waldstein Sonata, which is the last work Jose created, mm-hmm. uh, but the company has never performed uh, until this season. So you, we get like a little like world premiere of a Limon work. <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> um, How did yeah, you so bring that back? Sorry, um, <laughs> 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 yeah. I'm the guest host. <laughs> uh, he started in 1971 on the work. Um, he didn't finish it. Um, and then in 1975, his protege, Dr. Daniel Lewis, finished the work with the, all of these different tapes they had on like the big 16 millimeter yeah, thing. Wow. Um, so then they got all of the content that Jose had created and then he created or shaped what was there mm. into what we'll see tonight. Um, and then we see Chacon with Roman. So it'll be a very exciting moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the second half is Air for the G-String, which is a Doris Humphrey work. It's the first work she made on her own company after she left Denishan. Um, and that really, for me, gives weight and context to who Jose was, why he made the work he made. So you have an understanding of what inspired him. He saw this woman, he saw her work and was like, oh, okay, I can be inspired from my craft. And you'll mm-hmm. see how she she shapes space in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we finish with, with, uh, with Psalm, which is based on the last of the just. Mm. So Nicholas, what will we be seeing you in tonight? Uh, both the Waldstein Sonata and then Psalm. And I'll be doing the, uh, the soloist role, the burden bearer tonight, which I'm very excited about. Have you performed this before? I, yeah, all through our joy season and everything, but I actually, I had a slight injury, um, so I went into the psalmist track, and Joey Columbus did all of the burden bear. So this will be my first time back in a little while. So I'm mm. very excited. excited. Yeah. Nice. What, what was your preparation for, for that like? Like, how does that differ? Mm. Like, when you have the, the weight of um, the importance of, uh, you know, the work that's related to a master choreographer mm-hmm. versus, like, you come in the studio when you're doing new steps that mm. are for your own talents. Like, what, what kind of preparation are you doing, and how does that differ? Well, I think it's it's usually a good place to start where the choreographer started. And Jose really started with The Last of the Just. So before we started Psalm, I read the whole book. It was very dense at times. <laughs> but it was also, like, by the time I actually finished the book, I was already so moved and impacted. And um, to to approach the solo and see the gestures that, Lamone had chosen and how that related directly to the story that we are retelling mm-hmm. on stage was very emotional for mm-hmm. me. And that solo has become very emotional for me for sure. Um, but also between Dante and Logan, our associate artistic director, they give us a lot of different resources and information as we go through our process that really helps inform how we want to approach what we're doing, not only physically, but also, you know, why are we doing these steps? Mm-hmm. It's not just to look good or yeah, something, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And these, vo- these roles evolve. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I did, the, I did the soloist for, for a long time, and 
the peace grows, you know, you grow, you're, you change. Um, I remember one night I was doing Iago in the Morris Pavan and Carla, uh, Carla Maxwell, the director, she came up to me, she goes, tear him apart. <laughs> I was like, okay. Oh, you, know, you know, just like a little bit of, this is the role, you know the steps, you know the music, you know the relationships, you know your story, you know who you are. But here's a little bit something tonight. Mm. Um, and I, th- you know, we, we work with that. You know, mm. it's like as the person grows into the role, you see, oh, let's see what happens if they go there a little bit. You know, and we kind of guide and mm. help, help fill that out with them mm. as they're exploring it. Right. Mm. So it's the company's 75th anniversary. And I'm just curious, Dante, for you as director, where you want to take the company in the years to come. And Nicholas, as a, as a dancer, where you see yourself fitting into that path. Mm. Oh, yeah, you're going to have to sign up for our newsletter and follow us on social media <laughs> yes. if you want to see what's coming up <laughs> Put next. Put that plug in there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's it. That's okay. It. On to you. Inside of the future of the company, I, again, I feel like I have this balance of the best of both worlds for me. And um, I really am interested now in the teaching aspect as well, which mm-hmm. is something that I'm just scratching the surface on but I can tell is already infinitely fulfilling and challenging at the same time Mm -hmm. and also something that's greatly a part of the Lamone mission and something that's it's not mandated but it's highly encouraged that (laughs) inside of our intensives that we are sometimes you know when you have to explain something you actually learn it better for yourself and I think inside of that as all of our company members have taught at some point that we all have learned through that process. I think that's that's really great. That's so Beautiful. interesting. I, I, as someone who didn't get to teach until after, I was like, man, this would have helped me if I figured that <laughs> out. Um, but, but Dante, you started teaching and choreographing and staging quite young as well. So this is something that I think, are you in- encouraging this among your dancers? 100%. Yeah, it was when I first started teaching Limo and I was like, oh, now I get it. I was like, why weren't, why weren't we doing this sooner? <laughs> um, so, yeah, last year when we were at Perry Mansfield for the summer, um, we did a, you know, the four weeks we had the company teaching them each other. And then when the students came teaching during the intensive and then Logan and I, the associate artistic director, we would watch their class. We'd have a conversation about their pedagogy and then they'd go and teach again so they could have some time to refine mm-hmm. their practice and then we went to another intensive and then they got to just teach you know oh. really like live in that world mm-hmm. um yeah and then once you start doing that once you start reconstructing the works then you really understand the nuance and you really can dive into it that way when you go back into it you have more more to offer the work mm-hmm. right yeah mm-hmm. well i think this is the point that we can open up to audience questions if anyone has something they'd like to ask sarah Yeah, sure. So uh, Damien Wetzel actually approached me about it um, when we were talking about building out this uh, performance residency that we're here. And he said, would you mind doing a lecture demonstration or an an audience participation moment? Um, And I was like, yeah, of course, that sounds that sounds super dope. Let's figure (laughs) it out. Um, So. I was going through the rep and I couldn't really figure out what we would do like in space, you know, like, <laughs> you know, 2000 people <laughs> like that's what are we going to do? Um, so then I thought of, oh, there's a time is this opening circle and we're all connected and it's 
really just about grounding yourself and then connecting to the world. And I was like, well, that's really a perfect moment as we're out here in the middle of this gorgeousness. Let's ground ourselves and connect to each other and what we're surrounded by. Uh, so we talked about that. And he was like, yes, let's do that. Um, you know, and then it was shaping it. Or how much do we do? How long is it going to last? And then that conversation evolved into what you experienced on Friday night. Yeah, I, I thought that was such a cool moment. And I, I actually, now I'm just thinking back to the moment when you, earlier in the interview, when you were just breathing, I was like, I already feel like centered and calm. <laughs> <laughs> but that was like an extension of that with, with everyone all together. Mm -hmm. um, anyone else have any other questions? Bruce? So, <clears throat> we just lost Paul Taylor. I mean, I just, but, and, but, but you guys have been 50 years mm -hmm. since uh, Lamone died. That's right. And you, you think about the company continuing on and you sort of wonder which companies are going to continue and which. And, and to have endured that long mm -hmm. seems uh, almost unbelievable. And I'm wondering if there's, is, is there a core of people, what, what made it actually manage to continue to succeed? Mm -hmm. That's a great question because mm -hmm. I often wonder that myself. <laughs> um, I think it's the work, mm. you know, um, you know, there, this was the first company to say that a legacy company is a thing, mm. you know, at that time, any founder, if, if it wasn't the founder, then there wasn't a company. Mm. So that conversation after he died was like, well, what, well, then why would you keep doing the work? Like, well, you know, but we still keep going to see the Mona Lisa. We mm -hmm. still keep listening to, you know, Bach. We, we still engage. Um, and Jose was a genius, and he made this gorgeous work, and people still want to engage with it. Uh, so now it's my job, 50 years later, to find these new ways to engage with it so we can continue having it being in places where people can digest it and have conversations about it. Um, yeah, that's such a good question, and one I ask myself all the time. I, Sorry to, again, interrupt. I would love to... Um, almost commend you because I'm sure it's been happening, but the fact that you empower your company, the community that you're within to teach it so confidently, and um, that's keeping the work alive. And it's such a unique thing. I'm, I, I never heard this. Mm -hmm. Somebody watching me teach a ballet class and giving me feedback on how, to, I mean, it's, it's a different you know, form, but still that's so powerful in being able to like continue to keep the legacy alive. And I'm so happy to hear that that's <laughs> part of it because that's, um, that's the, to me, that's a key. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, yeah, maybe that is maybe the way I engage, maybe the way that I was engaged with continue to give me passion for it yeah, and, and continue to make me care, mm -hmm. you know, and then I spread that with the people I'm sharing that with. Um, so maybe that's, a, that's a big part of it too. Did he have, you know, Cunningham decided to shut down, go a year and shut down. I think Balanchin had, had had the attitude of once I'm dead, who cares? <laughs> forget about it all. It only existed now while I'm here. But obviously that continued on. Did, did Lamone have any view? No. No, no. His work went to his family. Um, different people own different things. You know, it's just sort of, there wasn't a legacy package in place. Right. <laughs> um, there wasn't a business plan in terms of how to <laughs> incorporate the work. Um, and that really fell on Carla Maxwell's shoulders at mm -hmm. a very young age. Um, 
And she, she did it, you know, she, she figured it out. They, we have all the rights to all the works. Um, yeah. You're still here. <laughs> first person, Judith Jameson, and, you know, it's the one who comes along next that makes it. Mm-hmm. Exactly right. be able to continue. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's do back here. You, yes, you, yeah. yes. <laughs> um, when you take on a role, Jose Chacon, for example, how do you know who to choose to direct you? And do Jose's words live from 75 years ago, what he would say to the dancer, developing the work coaching? I mean, it's impossible to choose, I'll tell you that much. Yeah. <laughs> when we do, Logan and I sit there and go, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> um, I know for, for me, um, I carry his unfinished memoirs with me, and I read from them quite often, um, mm-hmm. whether it's the top of a class or the top of a uh, rehearsal process mm-hmm. or a restaging process. Um, so we have something to hold on to mm-hmm. as a jumping off point. Um, maybe you can, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've also read the unfinished memoirs myself, and... Uh, Chacon's a great example where it was one of the last, it was the last work he wrote about in the novel and getting to go back and actually hear his words, but also have, you know, lifelong interpreters like Logan, like Dante to be in the room. And it almost, you know, I think all of us, a part of Lamona are an extension of Jose's language, right? So Mm. all of us together, can cultivate that same or similar experience. Yeah. Do you have a question? I hope. <laughs> 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 um, my first love of being a modern dancer was my uh, inter my interaction and my deep studying of Lamon in college, and it was such a um, holistic and spiritual physicality, and I know that sounds corny, and I'm not a corny person, but it was a holistic experience, and the way it was taught, um, I, it's palpable how you guys talk about it, and how you adore the work, and you adore the technique, and you respect it, and I think that has something to do with the relevance of the work now, because for something to be relevant, you really have to speak to all generations, not just an older generation who knew Jose when he was alive, but also to a much, much younger generation than us. And I see that that's happening. And um, when I see the company, I feel that from the dancers and I feel that from the leadership. And yes, it is because the work is so brilliant, but it's also because of how you have kept that holistic environment alive and I one more comment is that um, work doesn't always have to be art dance artwork doesn't always have to be blatantly political but the environment you create and the culture where you're having those conversations and you're being interested in your dancers and where they are in the world and where the choreographers are and what their experience is is so important it's not separate from who we are as people mm-hmm. in a way mm-hmm. so um that's why i love dance and that's this conversation and i don't really have a question because it's so articulate what mm-hmm. you guys are saying i just want to to offer that as a dancer person mm-hmm. like, I feel it. Mm-hmm. Like, yes from the 80s being the sarah stackhouse 
in the studio. It was a spiritual relationship, and learning Chacon was a spiritual experience. So thank you. Beautiful. If anyone Thank wants you. more of this, Jody will be in this seat <laughs> with Patricia as guest host again later on this week, I believe. So thanks, Jody. <laughs> All right, I think that's all we have time for. But thank you all for joining us, and that was so beautiful. Thank you for illuminating Lamar for us. Thank, thank you. Thank you. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 